Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Chapter 23 of the Earls Paul and Erland. Now the sons of Earl Thorfinn succeeded him. Paul was the elder of the two, and he ruled for both of them. They did not divide their possessions, yet they almost always agreed in their dealings. Ingeaborg, the mother of earls, was married to Malcolm, King of Scots, who was called Langels, and their son was Duncan, King of Scots the father of William the Excellent Man. His son was called William Odling, whom all the Scots wished to have for their king. Earl Paul Thorfinson married the daughter of Earl Hakon Iverson, by whom he had many children. They had a son called Hakon, and a daughter called Thora, who was married in Norway to Haldor, son of Brynjolf. Another son of theirs named Brynjolf married Girid, Dag's daughter. A second son of Paul, called Ingrid, was married to Einar Vorsakrak. Heibjörg was the third daughter of Paul. She was the mother of Ingeborg Ragna, who was married to Sigurd of Westness. Their sons were Hakonpek and Brynjolf. Sigrid was the second daughter of Herbjörg. She was the mother of Hakenbarn and of Herborg who was married to Colbin Frugge. The fourth daughter of Earl Paul was Ragnald, who was the mother of Benedict, the father of Ingeborg, the mother of Erling. Ragnald had a daughter by the name of Bergliot, who was married to Havard Gunnarsson. Their sons were Magnus, Hakin, Klo, Dufnial and Thorstein. All those were the families of earls and chiefs in the Orkneys, and all of them will be mentioned in this saga afterwards. The wife of Earl Erland, Thorfinn's son, was Thora, the daughter of Sumerlidi. Ospak's son, the mother of Ospak, was Thordis, the daughter of Hal of Sida. Their sons were Erling and Magnus, and their daughters Gunhild and Cecilia, who was married to Isaac and their sons were Endridi and Col. Erling had a natural daughter called Yathfor, and her son was called Berg. Chapter 24 Here is told of the death of King Harald and his daughter. When the brothers Paul and Erland had succeeded to the government of the Orkneys, King Harald Sigurdsson came from Norway with a large army. He first touched Jatland, from thence he went to the Orkneys, and left there his queen Elisif, and their daughters Maria and Ingegert. From the Orkneys he had many troops. Both the earls went with him on the expedition. 
they went from Orkney to England and landed at a place called Cleveland and took Skardaborg. Then he touched at Halness, and he had a battle there in which he was victorious. The Wednesday next before Matthiasmus, he had a battle at Jorvik with the earls Balthiof and Morukari. Morukari was slain there. Next Sunday, the Borg at Stamford Bridge surrendered to him, and he went on shore to arrange the government of the town, and there he left his son Olaf, the earls Paul and Erland, and his brother-in-law, Einstein Ori. While there, he was met by Harald Gundason, at the head of a numerous army. In that battle, King Harald Sigurdsson fell. After the death of the king, Einstein Ori and the earls arrived from the ship and made a stout resistance. There, Einstein Ori fell, and almost the whole army of the Northmen with him. After the battle, King Harald Gudinason permitted Olaf, the son of King Harald Sigurdsson, and the earls to leave England with all the troops that had not fled. Olaf sailed in the autumn from Rathenseri to the Orkneys. The same day, at the same hour as King Harald fell, his daughter Maria died, and it is said they had but one life. Olaf spent the winter in the Orkneys, and was very friendly to the earls and his kinsmen. Thora, the mother of King Olaf, and Ingiaborg, the mother of earls, were daughters of two brothers. In the spring, Olaf went to Norway and was made king along with his brother Magnus. While the brothers Paul and Erland ruled the Orkneys, they agreed extremely well for a long time. But when their sons came to manhood, Erling and Hakon became very violent. Magnus was the quietest of them all. They were all men of large stature and strong, and accomplished in everything. Hakon, Paul's son, wished to take the lead amongst his brothers. He considered himself of higher birth than the sons of Erland, as he was the daughter's son of Earl Hakon Iverson, and Agnahild, the daughter of King Magnus the Good. Hakon wished his friends to have the lion's share of everything before those who lent to the sons of Erland. But Erland did not like his sons to be inferior to any in the islands. Matters went so far that the kinsmen could not be together without danger. Then their fathers persuaded them to compose their differences. A meeting was appointed, but it soon became apparent that each of the fathers was inclined to take the part of his sons, and therefore they did not agree. Thus, dissensions arose between the brothers, and they parted without coming to an agreement which was, by many considered, a great misfortune. Chapter 25 A Meeting of Peace After this, well-disposed men interfered and tried to reconcile them. A meeting for reconciliation was appointed in Rossi, and at that meeting they made peace on the understanding that the islands should be divided into two shares, as they had been between Thorfinn and Brucey and thus matters stood for a while. When Hakon had arrived at the age of manhood, he was continuously on war expeditions. He became a very violent man, and greatly molested those who adhered to Erland and his sons, and this went so far that they came to open enmity a second time, and attacked each other with numerous troops. Harvard, Gunnarsson, and all the principal friends of the earls 
consulted once more and tried to make peace between them. This time Erland and his sons refused to make peace if Hakon remained in the islands, and because their friends considered their quarrel so dangerous to themselves, they besought Hakon not to let the condition that he should leave the islands for a time stand in the way of peace. Then, by the advice of good men, they became reconciled. After this, Hakon left the islands and first went east to Norway and saw there King Olaf Kiri the Quiet and stayed with him for a while. This was towards the end of his reign. After that, he went east to Sweden to King Inge, Stenkel's son, who received him well. He found friends and kinsmen there and was highly honoured on account of the esteem in which Hakon, his mother's father, was held. He had possessions from Stenkel, the king of the Swedes, ever since he was banished by King Harald Sigurdsson and became greatly beloved by the king and his people. A second daughter's son of Earl Hakon, Iverson, was Hakon who was called the Norwegian. His father was King Erik Spaki the Wise, who was the king of Denmark after Erik Emuni the Ever-Remembered. Hakon remained in Sweden for a while and was well treated by King Inge. But when some time had passed, in this way he felt so homesick that he wanted to go west again to the islands. Christianity then was young and newly planted in Sweden. Many men still dabbled in ancient lore and were persuaded that by such means they were able to ascertain future events. King Inge was a good Christian man and loathed all that meddled in the ancient lore and made strenuous efforts to abolish the customs which for a long time had accompanied heathenism. But the chiefs and the leading Bondi murmured loudly, if they were reproved for their habits, and at last matters went so far that the Bondi elected another king, Svein, the brother of the queen, who permitted them to make sacrifices, and was therefore called Sacrificing Svein. King Inge had to flee from the western Gotland, but their dealings ended thus that King Inge caught Svein by surprise in the house and burnt the house and him in it. After this, he subdued the whole country and uprooted many customs. Chapter 26 of the Words of the Spayman When Hakon, Paul's son, was in Sweden, he had heard of a man in the country who practised sorcery and spaycraft, whether he used for the purposes witchcraft or other magical arts. Hakon became very curious to see this man and anxious to know what he could ascertain about his future. So he went in search of the man, and alas he found him in a seaside district, where he went from one feast to another and foretold the seasons and other things to the country people. When Hakon had found this man, he inquired of him whether he would succeed in regaining his dominions or what other fortune awaited him. The spayman asked him who he was, and he told him his name and family, that he was the daughter's son of Hakon, Iverson. The spayman then said, Why should you ask foresight or knowledge of the future from me? You know well that your kinsmen have little liking for men such as I am, and yet it might be necessary for you to try to ascertain your fate from your friend Olaf the Stout, in whom all your fate is placed. But I suspect that he would not condescend to tell you what you are anxious to know, or else he may not be 
so mighty as you call him? Hakan answered, I will not reproach him. I should rather think I was not worthy to learn wisdom from him than that he was incapable. But I have come to you because I thought that we had no reason to envy each other on account of virtue or religion. The spayman replied, I am glad to find that you place your entire trust in me, and not in that faith which you and your kinsmen profess. Truly, they who apply themselves to such strange things are strange men. They keep fasts and vigils, and believe that by such means they will be able to ascertain that which they desire to know. But the more they apply themselves to these things, the less they ascertain of what they wish to know, and it is most important to them to know it. But we undergo no bodily pains, yet we always obtain the knowledge of those things of which it is important. Now matters will go between us in this way, that I shall help you because I understand that you think you would rather obtain the truth from me than from the preachers of King Engi, in whom he puts his entire trust. After three nights' time you shall come to me, and then we shall try whether I may be able to tell you of any of the things you wish to know. Upon this they parted, and the Hakan stayed in the district. When three nights had passed, he went again to see the spay man. He was in a certain house alone, and groaned heavily as Hakan entered. He passed his hand across his forehead, and said that it cost him much pain to obtain the knowledge which Hakan desired. Hakan then said he wished to hear his future. The spayman said, If you wish your whole fate unfolded, it is long to tell, for there is a great future in store for you. Grand events will happen at certain periods of your life. I foresee that you will become the last sole ruler of the Orkneys, that you will perhaps think you have long to wait. I also see that your sons will rule there. Your next journey to the Orkneys will be a very eventful one, when its consequences appear. In your days, you will also commit a crime, for which you may or may not Obtain pardon from the God in whom you believe. Your steps go farther out in the world than I am able to trace. Yet I think you will rest your bones in the northern parts. Now I have told you what has been given to me to tell you at this time. But what satisfaction you may have derived from your visit rests within yourself. Hakon replied. Great things you have foretold, they turn out to be true but I think my fate will prove itself better than you have said, and perhaps you have not seen the truth. The spayman said he was free to believe what he liked of it, that such events would not the less surely come to pass. Chapter 27 Of the Schemes of Hakon, Paul's Son After this, Hakon went to see King Ingi and stayed with him for a short while. Then he obtained leave from the king to depart. He went first to Norway to see his kinsman, King Magnus, who received him very well. There he heard that the government of the Orkneys was almost exclusively in the hands of Earl Erland and his sons, and that they were greatly loved, but that his father Paul took little part in the government. He also thought he could perceive from conversations with men from the Orkneys who gave him a true account of the state matters, 
that the Orkneymen had no desire for his return home. They were living in peace and quiet, and were afraid that Hakon's return would give rise to disturbance and strife. When Hakon was turning this over in his mind, he thought it was likely that his kinsmen would try to keep him out of his possessions, and that it would be dangerous for him if he did not go to the west with a numerous retinue. Then he devised a scheme to induce King Magnus to put him into his possession in the Orkneys. Chapter 28 Hakon's Interview with King Magnus This was after King Magnus had put Steiger, Thorir and Eil to death, and put down all opposition to his rule. Hakon was a sagacious man, and he thought he could understand from King Magnus's conversation that he was ambitious of grand undertakings, and covetous of the possessions of other rulers. Hakon began to tell the king that it would be a princely feat to make an expedition to the west and subdue the islands, as Harald the fair-haired had done. He also said that if he established his power in the Sudriar, he might easily make forays into Ireland and Scotland from them. Then, having subdued the western countries, he might attack the English with the help of the Northmen, and thus take revenge for his grandfather Harold Sigurdsson. When they were speaking about these things, it became evident that the king was pleased with this proposal, and said it was spoken like a nobleman, and quite according to his own mind. He said, But I wish you to not be surprised, Hakon, in case I shall be persuaded by your words to carry an army into the west. I put forward a strong claim to the possessions there, without regards to the claims of any man. When Hakon heard the suggestion, he was not so well pleased, because he suspected the real meaning of the king's words, and after this he no longer persuaded the king to go. Neither was it required, for after their conversation the king sent messages throughout his dominions to make known that he was soon to lead an expedition, and then he made it known to the people that he was going west, whatever might be the result. Preparations were made for the expedition throughout the whole kingdom. King Magnus took with him his son Sigurd, who was eight winters old and a hopeful boy. Chapter 29 The Western Expedition of Magnus Bearlegs When the brothers Paul and Erland ruled the Orkneys, King Magnus came from Norway. He had a large army. Many of his vassals followed him, among whom were Vidkun Jonsson, Sigurd Hrani's son, Serk from Son, Dag Elif's son, Skapti from Gizki, Ogmund. Finn and Thord, Ivan on Bogi, the king's high steward, Kali, Snebjorn's son from Agdir, the son of Thorleif Spaki the Wise, who was maimed by Halfred and Kal his son. Kali was a very wise man, much esteemed by the king, and made verses well. When King Magnus came to the Orkneys, he seized the earls Paul and Erland and sent them east to Norway, but placed his son Sigurd over the isles, and gave him counsellors. King Magnus went to Sudriar, accompanied by Magnus and Erling, the sons of Earl Erland and Hakon Paulson. But when King Magnus came to the islands, he began hostilities first at Theodis, 
and gained a victory there. In this expedition he subdued the whole of the Sudriar and seized Logman, the son of Gudrod, king of the western islands. Thence he went to Bretland and fought a great battle in Anglesey Sound with two British chiefs, Hugh the Stout and Hugh the Bold. When the men took up their arms and buckled for the fight, Magnus, Erlend's son, sat down on the foredeck and did not take his arms. The king asked why he did not do so. He said he had nothing against anyone there, and therefore would not fight. The king said, Go down below, and do not lie among the other people's feet if you dare not to fight, for I do not believe that you do so from religious motives. Magnus took a psalter and sang during the battle, and did not shelter himself. The battle was long and fiercely contested, and both swords and missiles were used. For a long time the result of the battle was doubtful. King Magnus shot from a bow, and a man from Halogaland was with him, who the bold fought valiantly. He had a suit of armour which covered him entirely except his eyes. King Magnus ordered the man from Halogaland to shoot at the same time as he did, and they shot both at once. One of the arrows struck the nosepiece of the helmet, and the other pierced the eye, and that was said to be the king's arrow. Chapter 30 Callie's Death After Hugh's death, the British Normans fled, and King Magnus obtained a great victory. He lost there many brave men, and many others were wounded. Callie had received many wounds, but none mortal. After the battle, King Magnus sailed from the south along the coasts of Bretland and Scotland, having conquered all the Sudriar and Anglesey, just one third of Bretland. King Magnus had appointed Magnus, Erlend's son, as one of the waiters at his table, and he performed continuously the duties of that office. But after the battle in Anglesey Sound, the king showed that Magnus had incurred his serious displeasure. He had not been wounded, although he had not sheltered himself. During the night he stole away from the king and hid himself for some time in the woods, while the king's men made search for him. Magnus made his way to the court of Malcolm, the king of Scots, and remained there for a while. For some time he was with a certain bishop in Bretland, but he did not come to the Orkneys while King Magnus was alive. King Magnus held northward, along the coasts of Scotland, and messengers came to him from Malcolm, the King of Scots, to ask for peace. They said that the King of Scots was willing to give him all the islands lying west of Scotland, between which and the mainland he could pass in a vessel with the rudder shipped. Thereupon, King Magnus landed in Satiri, and had a boat drawn across the neck of Satiri, he himself holding the helm, and thus he gained possession of the whole of Satiri, which is better than the best island of the Sudriar, man accepted. It is in the west of Scotland, and on the land side there is a narrow isthmus, across which vessels are frequently drawn. Thence King Magnus went to the Sudriar, and sent his men into Scotland's fjord. They rowed along in one coast, and out along another, and thus took possession of all the islands west of Scotland. Then the king made it known that he was going to spend the winter in the Sudriar, but gave permission to those who had most urgent business to go home, 
When the troops knew this, they all wished to go home, and murmured greatly at their being longer detained. The king then held a council with his advisers, and looked at the wounds of his men. He saw Kali and asked about his wounds. Kali said they did not heal well, and that he did not know what the end would be. The king asked for his advice, and Kali said, Is it not so that your friends are now failing you? The king said he did not think so. Kali asked him to hold a wapenshaw, and thus to ascertain the number of his troops. This the king did, then he missed many men. This he told to Kali, and then Kali sang. Who do thy great chiefs repay thee, for the bounties lavished on them? Now, O king, of this make trial, on the western currents ships are shaken. The king replied, Surely it was in my folly that my wealth I gave to these men, yet my longships, swiftly speeding, still shall climb the chilly billows. After this, the king kept a watch to prevent men from deserting. When King Magnus was in the Sudriar, he obtained the hand of Biadmonia, the daughter of Mirkiartan, the son of Thialbi, the king of the Irish in Cunatir. For his son, Sigurd, who was nine winters old, and she was five. This winter Kali died from his wounds. Sigurd Snes, Kali's kinsman, a landerman from Agdir, had fallen in the Anglesey Sound. Chapter 31 Birth of Kali, son of Col. Early in the spring, King Magnus left the Sudriar and went first to the Orkneys where he heard of the death of the earls. Erland died in Nidaros and was buried there, and Paul died in Bjorgvin. Then Kid Magnus married Gunhild, the daughter of Earl Erland, to call Cali's son, in order to compensate him for the loss of his father. Her diary consisted of possessions in the Orkneys, including a farm at Pathel. Some say that Erling Erland's son fell in the Anglesey Sound, but Snorri Sturluson says he fell in Ulidseer with King Magnus. At his wedding, Col became King Magnus's vassal. Afterwards, he went to Norway with the king and home to Agdir with his wife and went to reside at his estates there. Col and Gunhild had two children. Their son was called Kali and their daughter Ingrid. They were both very promising children and brought up with affectionate care. Chapter 32. Sigurd made king. When Magnus had been king nine winters, he went to the west and spent the winter in Gunnatir. The next summer, on St. Bartholomew's Day, he fell at Ulidseer. When Sigurd heard in the Orkneys of the death of his father, he went immediately to Norway and was made king, along with his brothers Eystein and Olaf. He had left the daughter of the Irish king in the west. One winter or two after the death of King Magnus, Hakon, Paul's son, came from the west, and the kings gave him an earl's title and possessions bestimming his birth. Then he returned to the west and took possession of the Orkneys. He had always accompanied King Magnus while he was alive. He was with him in his expedition to Gotland, which is mentioned in the song made about Hakon, Paul's son. 
Chapter 33 Magnus Erlinson obtains the title of Earl. When Earl Hakon had ruled the Orkneys for some time, Magnus, the son of Earl Erland, came from Scotland and wished to take possession of his patrimony. The Bondi were highly pleased with this, for he was beloved among them and had many kinsmen and connections who wished to help him to his dominions. His mother was married to a man called Sigurd. Their son was named Hakon Karl. They had estates in Papel. When Earl Hakon heard that Earl Magnus had come to the Orkneys, he collected men together and refused to give up any part of the islands. But their friends tried to make peace between them, and at last they succeeded so far that Hakon consented to give up half of his dominions if the kings of Norway approved of it. Magnus went immediately to Norway to see King Eystein, for King Sigurd had then gone to Jerusalem. King Eystein received him exceedingly well and gave up to him his patrimony, one half of the Orkneys, the title of Earl. Thereupon Magnus went west to his dominions, and his kinsmen and friends and all the people were glad to see him back. Through kind offices of mutual friends, Magnus and Hakon agreed very well. So long as their friendship continued, there were good times and peace in the Orkneys. <laughs>